Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and today's episode is all about preaching, or more specifically, about the preacher. After all, we can do all the work of good sermon preparation and still miss the main thing, the preparation of our own heart. To talk about this, David Harita, Regional Director of Fellowship Pacific, sat down with Barton Preeb, lead pastor of Central Baptist Church in Victoria. They talk about all the different heart dynamics a preacher faces in a week leading up to Sunday, and how you can make sure you're preparing your own heart even as you prepare your sermon. So let's get to it. Here's David's conversation with Barton Preeb. Hello, welcome to the podcast today. Uh, this is David Reader, Regional Director for Fellowship Pacific, and we're spending some time with Dr. Barton Preeb, uh, who's pastor at Central Baptist Church in Victoria. Just for the, those of you who don't know Barton that well, I think probably most of you listening do, but he worked at Trinity for a few years. He was a pastor in Vancouver, uh, right down by UBC for 13 years at Dunbar Heights Baptist Church. He's written, co-written some books. I just saw an email actually from today. He's got a new chapter out in a new book on everyday apologetics. And so maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit. If not, maybe that's a topic for a whole other podcast, which might be fun. Um, your doctor in ministry, Barton, was particularly on adoption, but it discussed the effects of sermons on everyday preachers or everyday preaching relative to the topic of adoption. That's a sort of complicated way of getting at that. Um, you want to make any comment on that? Yeah, it was specifically on uh, the effect of sermons on Paul's doctrine of adoption in the lives of believers. So if you preach on Paul and what he teaches about adoption, what kind of effect does that have in the lives of believers? That was the, the big topic. Yeah, and what did you find? Sorry, this isn't our topic, but I'm interested. In it. <laughs> it's not our topic, but it's a fun topic. I could talk for a long time about this one. Uh, oh, all kinds of really great effects, especially on things like uh, assurance of salvation, uh, the church as the family of God and how that works out uh, in our social structures and the way we relate to one another. Um, yeah, personal relationships with the Lord and how to grow in uh, understanding of his love for us, his acceptance for us. Adoption is a powerful metaphor to do with acceptance and belonging. Uh, so yeah, it had a pretty huge effect. It was great. Yeah, it's interesting. I had mentioned to you before that I had this funny phone call from my mother who uh, goes to your church, loves your preaching, by the way, and but she phoned to say she'd got a questionnaire about adoption, and then she was worried that she might get the answers wrong, and you, you know, she'd be embarrassed if you saw it, and so she was phoning asking me for the answers, and I had to clarify with her, well, okay, well, he's doing his dissertation on this, so do you actually need to give him the right answers or the wrong answers, like which one's actually going to help him, so it was kind of a funny conversation on that. I've Gotta love how people interpret things. <laughs> it is. So, Barton, probably most people who know you from a ministry context or um, serving context within the church would describe your primary gifting as preaching. Not to say you don't do anything else, but that would be kind of the first thing that pops to mind. I don't know if that's fair or not. But I do know the central website describes you saying you'll enjoy Barton's preaching as he knows how to ask the right questions, engage attention, and thoughtfully guide you to biblical answers that impact all areas of faith and life. So our topic really is on that area of preaching. Uh, why don't you start by telling us how 
not how you got into ministry, but where or when did you discover your own love for preaching specifically? Hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, I think when the Lord really got a hold of my life around 17 years old, I just wanted to serve him. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but then being given little opportunities through my undergrad years, um, then uh, when I worked at Trinity West University for four years, being asked to speak at various places, God just kind of started giving me opportunities. Uh, pastors were crazy and allowed me to preach when I was like 19 in churches, and those sermons were the worst, but <laughs> you get to try it out a little bit. And eventually started to uh, see some decent responses to things and uh, some really great responses. And I just love the word of God, love to preach. And so pretty early, actually, uh, I don't know, maybe 21, 22, I just decided in my heart, I'm like, this is one of the primary things I want my life to be about. And so I began pursuing it in so many different ways from just learning how to preach to reading to listening to all these kind of ways. So very much early on, I think, in my early 20s and became the lead pastor at Dunbar Heights when I was 25 is when they called me. So I guess pretty early on, you sink or swim and you you got to learn, right? Yeah, it's interesting. My first or well, one of my first preaching opportunities, I was uh, part of a boys club, actually, at Central Baptist in Victoria. And they were doing a sermon or a service in Parksville and told me I told me I should emphasize told me <laughs> I was going to preach. I don't remember much about it other than it was out of the end of Galatians and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I was emotionally scarred because right afterwards, an older woman at that time, that might've been anybody over 30 came out to me, grabbed my cheeks and started shaking them and saying, you were so cute. <laughs> Whatever a young man wants to hear. Yeah. I was I'm surprised <laughs> I ever got back into a pulpit at all for that. So historically preaching has been viewed as a really huge thing for the church and i think some of the great pastors of old we think of them more as great preachers of old actually more even than pastors so people like spurgeon who is the prince of preachers or more recently people maybe billy graham or uh, g campbell morgan in the early 1900s or martin lloyd jones in the 20s and 30s all those guys are kind of known for their preaching primarily some people would say that preaching has lost its luster in the modern world. So do you think that's true? Hmm. I guess it depends who's defining. Uh, yeah, it depends how I guess you look at it. Uh, has it lost respect uh, amongst culture? Certainly some people view preaching as a, uh, an authority figure. And especially here on the West Coast, as we know, uh, in Canada and in North America, uh, there's no more anti-authority people than those living in British Columbia and on the West Coast. So uh, if you're going to want to speak with the authority of the Bible, uh, it's not going to go well uh, on those. But on the other hand, uh, I don't think it has. I, I My whole life and through seminary and everything or Bible college, you read books on we need to reinvent this. We need to totally go a different direction. We need to have more, I don't know, instead of preaching, you need to have a, a pastor facilitating a conversation, for instance. Honestly, over 20 years, I think it's all misguided. Uh, I think believers, true believers who are born again, long to hear the word of God, and they really enjoy hearing the word of God, and I don't think that's being lost. And when I think we can adjust our preaching models uh, to be able to address a secular culture, 
Uh, so and just stylistically, uh, there's some pretty big things we can talk about in there. It's not our topic today, but uh, uh, stylistically, the way that we preach, I think, can really engage our modern secular culture. And I've seen that a lot, having worked at Trinity, or sorry, at um, uh, Next UBC for 13 years and having endless young adults coming through the church, uh, dealing with skeptical questions. Same, same thing here in Victoria, actually. I think people are willing to listen. Uh, they may not agree, but hey, uh, they're willing to listen and, and begin a conversation. So I don't think preaching has been lost myself. Okay, let's hone that in a little bit more. And I'd agree with that, by the way. I, I would say most of our thriving churches as a family of churches within Fellowship Pacific anyway, are churches where preaching still plays a key role. Authority of scripture is still foundationally Absolutely. true, and that's the basis for it. Uh, how about during COVID? <laughs> What do you think Bring about a camera? Boy, that was an adjustment. Uh, I think we it was great the first few weeks of COVID. We, after every uh, every recording, after every live service, we would do a debrief uh, with just the people that were there, just our tech team and the other pastors. And they were long meetings. <laughs> and it was, here's the endless things you're not doing right. And the whole service, all the live stream and learning how to preach to a camera. That's a whole nother dynamic. Uh, I do not enjoy that at all. Uh, I think I've learned how to do it. I don't enjoy it. We're back now to do, and we have two services, uh, two gatherings of under 50 uh, for live in-person services. So even preaching to a smaller group now, but now I'm, I'm focusing on the camera 60% of the time and the live audience 40% of the time, something like that. Um, uh, and then I guess we can talk about what we preach on, but just adjusting to cameras is a, it's a new, new, new learning thing for me, which has been good for me. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting change, of course. You don't get the energy that you derive from being with live people. That in itself is a very different Absolutely. thing that preaching is concerned. Um, so now we're all pretty common or pretty current with things like uh, streaming and video and Facebook Live and Zoom and YouTube Live and Google and Periscope and all the various different platforms you can use to put out the sermons. But I read today, actually just this morning, that so provincial health officer here in British Columbia, Bonnie Henry, that vaccines should be available to everybody in BC by this time next year. She was trying to be encouraging. I didn't take that as an encouragement. It was oh, like, what? Man. What do you mean this time next year? Uh, and talk about over the weekend, 2000 new cases of COVID and nine deaths. Um, so it's not going away really soon. And that whole camera thing may be here to stay forever. For sure. Yep. Um, you mentioned already 60% looking at a camera, 40% looking at the live audience kind of thing. Beyond that, as you've preached through COVID and you're aware people are in more isolation, some are even in care homes by themselves at some points on and off, probably recurring again, no visitors, all that kind of thing. How has it changed your preaching, if at all? Mm, yeah, good. Uh In some ways, it hasn't changed much at all. I think early on, I tried to do shorter sermons. We we're trying to do compact our services. So they're shorter because we were worried people wouldn't want to stick on it so long. We've kind of gone back now, actually. Uh, we on, uh, honestly, our numbers are rising for our online viewer, viewership each week, gradually, not nothing spectacular. Um, so people, I, I've actually found people are wanting and craving uh to be able to engage that way this fall we did try something uh, we did one of those ask anything series where we put out in summertime we put out questions 
to the internet to people in our church and then they a bunch of them came back we reduced them to like 18 then we had people vote on we reduced them to 10. Uh, so this fall we've been preaching through more of a usually we do expository maybe through books or series or whatever this fall we've been doing this ask anything series that has been exceptionally well received i think it helped just get a little bit more uh engagement uh with people tuning in online um but honestly maybe i'm just not profound enough i have not changed a lot i <laughs> i still rely entirely on a well-prepared sermon a well-prepared heart uh, a worship service where we are exalting God and we are really seeking to speak God's word into real life application type situations. And surprise, surprise, the old methods still work uh, when it comes to just the preaching of God's word in its simple form. So maybe that's not a profound answer, but uh, there you go. I don't know. Maybe it's the most profound answer. Hard <laughs> Could be. Hard maybe, we, maybe what I'm saying is, do we really need to overstress and try to we're trying to rethink lots of things anew, but do we need to rethink absolutely everything? Maybe I know other guys are trying to preach a lot shorter sermons. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe people just aren't telling me if I'm preaching too long. I don't know, but, uh, if your numbers are going up, that's not everybody's experience. So it's not yeah. hurting longer. Yeah. Everyone needs to figure it out on their own, but uh, honestly, I'm not rethinking how to preach a lot of the time. I'm just really praying I can do a good job at it and help people encounter Christ in their living rooms or in their home. Uh, we call them uh, home churches, uh, wherever they are. Uh, that's uh, that's my great prayer. And so far, by God's grace, we're seeing that. Okay, well, let me tell you a concern that I have uh, for our churches or for myself or for our society. I'm not sure what it's a concern for, but then you can tell me whether you think that's valid or not. So uh, part of my concern is preaching, I think, has always been important. Um, it has a, a bit of waning. I think it waned a little bit during the era of worship music, which is still important, but it kind of took precedence for a while and preaching reemerged. And I think it always will. Um, however, I think it's reemerged enough online that the importance of being good at preaching is maybe higher than it has ever been in our society, even in the days of the great preachers, because now people can just switch channels. Yeah. And so if it's not relevant, if it's not engaging and bringing the word of God into their life in some way that makes a difference for them, they can just switch. And so you hear people, they, you know, they'll switch to Andy Stanley or whoever. And I think, okay, let's see, I want to listen to David Harita today, or I want to listen to Tim Keller. And I'm thinking, uh Oh, I, I lose every week. Like every week I lose. That's so, true. so preaching is more important, particularly the quality of it. And I worry about that for some of our churches. Does that seem like a fair worry to you? It is. It's just the reality of where we are. Uh, but the maybe the one or maybe two pushbacks on it would be that uh, pastorally, as I read a great blog post, I don't know who wrote it, but it was that uh, something to the effect of Tim Keller and John Piper won't be there when your wife dies. Uh, so <laughs> local church pastors, especially in smaller churches, have the great benefit of relationships. Now, COVID makes this very difficult. Um, but I, I have seen people do stick with their pastors. They are listening to others as well. And pastors got to deal with their own hearts on, uh, you know, having to be compared to guys like Tim Keller or something. That's, that's not easy. Um, so th I think the personal relationship, pastoral relationship is very important. And you can't understate all of that. Um, the second one is that there are certain people who do know who Tim Keller is and listen to his sermons. Absolutely. 
But I've actually been amazed how many people, even in my own congregation, I really don't know uh, who the great preachers are of today. Uh, so there are many people for whom I'm the only preacher they really listen to. So uh, you are the great preacher. Well, I don't know about that. I'm the preacher in their life anyways. Uh, but I'm not sure everybody is podcasting all the time. And so I'd still think the local church pastor, preaching pastor, is a imp very important role because not everybody's podcasting. Having said all that, you're entirely right. Uh, there are people who are podcasting. They're listening to really great preaching. And it's kind of depressing to be compared to the greats. Okay. So again, not our main topic. We haven't even got to it yet. We haven't even got to it, but... Maybe it'll be an extra long podcast. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's preaching 101 <laughs> podcasting. So good fun for us. So because you love preaching, I know that you've done some things we've talked about a little bit. I've talked to some others who've done this with you, actually. Um, you worry about, they worry is the wrong word. You care about developing your craft and continuing to develop it as a preacher, not just saying I've arrived at it. What are some of the things you've done in kind of brief, kind of statement that you've done to try and continue to be a good preacher and grow as a preacher and not realize you're already, you've already arrived? Yeah, good question. You mean over my whole pastoral ministry or just recently? Yeah, or? just some of the things, just dabble in a few of those things that have really helped you. Yeah, it's multifaceted. I don't think there's one answer to that. Uh, First of all, laying foundations, uh, what is preaching? So you got to get all that straight, first of all. Uh, what are we actually supposed to be doing when we preach? And so I would come around to things like expository preaching and what does that all look like? Uh, how do you do that in a Christ-centered way? The most helpful stuff probably for me actually would be uh, Brian Chappell's course online called The Preparation and Delivery of Sermons. You can find the, it's a, you can find the MP3s just about anywhere. Brian Chappell's stuff, um, I, I don't follow a lot of his things, but his single concept of a fallen condition focus uh, and then shaping an introduction and a sermon around a fallen condition focus is absolutely critical for me. And then after that, uh, Tim Keller's lectures where he lectured with uh, Ed Clowney, um, uh, he has a whole book you can actually buy online. So it's not actually a book. It's a, uh, somebody photocopied the notes and, and released it as a book that you can buy online. I think a PDF is actually available. I think it's called uh, preaching Christ in a postmodern world. Uh, those lectures that he and Clowney did were instrumental for me. And then Keller has a five-part lecture series uh, called, I think it's called Preaching to the Heart or something to that effect. Um, those ca categories were massive uh, for me. So that's kind of just how to preach and what is it all supposed to be. On top of that, then uh, the constructive criticism of people who can actually give true criticism, uh, not just uh, pick you apart, um, but I've benefited greatly from allowing, trying to listen to people uh, who will, who critique me and then can also maybe say, hey, this is how you do it right if you've been doing it wrong. Uh, third, listening to great preachers uh, with what I call the third ear. Uh, so third ear being, uh, what are they doing as they're preaching? So I'm listening to the content with my other two ears. I'm listening to it from my heart and all that. But what are they doing right now? And what makes that effective? Uh, or when something really strikes me and I'm listening to somebody, what did they just do right there that made that so effective? So I study preachers. Uh, so what I do is I, I'll often pick somebody for six months to a year and I'll read them or listen to them exclusively. Uh, so they almost become their, they're, they're mentoring me, even though they don't know it. Um, so I've done that. Like I read a Metropolitan Tabernacle 
whole set of Spurgeon sermons, a whole volume of his sermons for a while. Uh, then I'll like, I'll read Tim Keller sermons. Then I'll do some, I don't know, some R.C. Sproul teaching series or some, and everyone, I pick up something from everyone. Um, and then of course, on top of that, number four, be just reading books on preaching all the time. I could go on for a long time, but those are some of the, the ones that have really, I think, shaped me over the years, but probably the biggest one is just doing it, preaching a lot. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the one that I, I find makes the really big difference. You can't learn without doing books only work so far. Uh, so I'm always critiquing my own preaching. Um, so say I'm going through a book, what I'll do. So I remember when I first was learning how to do introductions, I read Brian Chappell on introductions and you can't work on everything every single week. So probably for about six months to a year, I devoted extra time to working on introductions alone. And I would read Brian Chappell on introductions just about every week for the year. And I just, and I'd read everybody else on introductions. I just worked on introductions for probably six months to a year. Then it was like main points. How do you really craft a main point? Um, and I'd work on that for like a year. So all those things kind of add up over time because you can't just do it all at once. You got to break it into bite-sized pieces. Yeah, a lot in there, but I think big thing out of that is it's work and you have to keep working at it. That oh. whole thing of being a participating observer, which you talk about as a third year, I think is um, it's really necessary and it's one of the great dangers of preaching too. So <laughs> sometimes you can be observing rather than letting God speak to your own heart Perfect. in that. Correct. But so, so let's talk about the heart a little bit. I was reading a quote from John Wesley. He said this. He said, uh, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they're clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Which is a pretty powerful statement about if uh, you have your own relationship with God, right? And you're uh, fearing sin in the lives of people and what it does to them that kind of thing and maybe goes to your issue of a fallen condition it has to grow out of our own heart anyway so i know that's you've been thinking about that thinking about maybe writing a book on that even uh you want to talk to us about that and the importance of the heart in preaching the preacher's own heart yeah yeah so the big picture on this one is there's lots of books on how the mechanics of preaching and I just say at the beginning, I'm assuming all of that, all that stuff is really important, how to exegete a text, uh, how to turn it into a sermon, all that stuff is super, super important. Um, but I guess when I come to the end of the day, uh, actually what's even more important, I'm gonna say even more important, uh, maybe we can debate whether it is, is actually the heart of the preacher. Uh, so I got a quote that I found from an old author named Ian Bounds, he was a 19th century American preacher. And he said this, he said, we have emphasized sermon preparation until we have lost sight of the important thing to be prepared, the heart. And then he says, a prepared heart is much better than a prepared sermon. A prepared heart will make a prepared sermon. So I think what he's saying is, this is what I would say, sermon preparation and all the mechanics of it really, really matters. I never wanna downplay that. Um, but you can do all that and actually you can miss the main thing. And the main thing is the preacher's own heart with God in the, all the preparation and then also the delivery of the sermon. So our topic, which we're talking about here is the heart dynamics that a preacher faces. And as I thought about these heart dynamics, I kind of broke it down in my head. I was like, there's different dynamics that I think a preacher faces throughout the week. And I, I kind of categorize them as heart dynamics, just kind of in general, and then heart dynamics when you're doing your sermon prep heart dynamics just before you're going to preach, dynamics while you're preaching, and then heart dynamics after you're done preaching. So that's kind of the way I, I broke it down. I thought about my own experience. So I don't know if we want to track each of those or how do, how do you want to do this, David? Uh, well, let's just bounce around a little bit because if we just go through it like a recipe list, it might be a bit dry for that. So 
Sure. Uh, when you're starting that, um, and I know you sent me a summary for this, so you know I have a little bit of background on this for those who are listening to this. I'm not just starting with zero from this. You talk about the need to work through your identity and preaching. Um, so let me just ask you this. I'm going to quote you from the thing email you sent with some of this in it, because I don't think it's what you meant. And if it is, we'll have a good debate on it. Okay, so right. It says, uh, Monday, the heart dynamics before you begin here, I talk about the need to work through one's identity so that preaching is where we form our identity. I would assume <laughs> it's so that preaching is not where we form our identity. That's called you should have looked over an email before you sent it. <laughs> Yeah, one of those things where a little knot might be the difference. So I looked at that and I, I pondered it for a minute. And I thought, I'm guessing he means not where we form That's, our identity. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> That's a good one. Nice catch. Well, you can quote me on that. I know you will probably for the rest of my life. I just Martin did. forms his identity. Yeah, now this is going to chase. I know how you were. He's going to follow me the rest of my days now. Yes. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, I mean, not our identity. Um, because of what I want to, of course, trying to say that is too often. And I think especially when we're beginning and we're just learning how to do this and let's, let's just say all the way through too often, we as preachers can form our identity in our role as preachers and in how, how well we think maybe we are doing it preaching. I, I think I saw this in my own heart, especially early on in my younger days. Uh, I, I say, why would I feel so dejected after a sermon that I didn't think went well? Or why would I kind of feel so good after a sermon that I didn't feel well, uh, went well? And I, I think what I realized was I'm building my identity. I'm building my sense of self-worth on the verdict that I give myself as a preacher. But that's a very dangerous thing to do. And so I think the heart dynamic of where your identity coming is absolutely critical. And you got to start there because if we build our identity on how well we think we're doing in preaching, uh, we will always live with a deep sense of insecurity. And so every single Sunday, your, your self-worth is on trial, really, right? So if someone criticizes your preaching, uh, you'll end up being devastated because it strikes really at the very core of who you are as a person because you're building your identity on how good of a preacher you are. Uh, on the other side, when people start to praise you, uh, then your heart could swell with pride. So you're kind of on this never-ending roller coaster of highs and lows, depending on the verdict that you give yourself uh, from other people. The other problem, of course, is that you will lack courage. Uh, you lack courage to preach on topics that you might receive a bad verdict on, um, that you know pe people are going to, you, you just know there's some passages and some topics that people don't, they're not, you're gonna get some emails uh, or some comments. So you, you're not gonna have courage. Um, and yeah, and the biggest one will be, how would you ever even know if you've achieved being a preacher? It's too, it's too subjective. But for me, I think what really solved all this for me, well, that's sorry, I shouldn't say that that really brought me a lot of freedom and that I'm you know, still working on, but gives me rest is just the truth of the gospel and applying it to my own heart. Uh, because the, the great verdict has already been passed on me. And of course the verdict is there is no condemnation anymore that I totally, I'm I loved by God through Christ. I belong to him. So I don't need the approval of other people or the approval even of myself as a preacher, um, because I've already got all of that in Christ. And I think when you really work that down, man, does it make a difference? So now I can handle criticism from others. It hurts sometimes for sure, especially when it's mean, uh, <clears throat> but I can handle it because my ultimate sense of identity is not in my preaching. I, I know I am accepted by Christ, or I can have courage to speak on really hard topics um, because I know I, I, my ultimate thing is not how I am viewed or how people view me. It's that I'm a child of the King and I'm honoring him and serving him. And there's just a restfulness and a peace deep down inside. So I think preachers really got to begin when you want to talk about 
all of this by, with their identity. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Preaching's a weird, um, well, I don't know if it's a discipline. It's, it is partly a discipline, but it's a strange entity. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Barton. I'm way more shallow than you. I think we both know that. Everybody listens to the podcast knows that. So I sometimes have like, it's a commentator talking about my sermon while I'm preaching it. It's like somebody sitting on a stool saying like, what are you, what did you just say? Like, you're an idiot. So negative language self-talk gets in there. I remember one sermon, this is the actual thing that happened. Um, I can't even remember what I was speaking on. I just remember having this overriding sense of, and the thought that came into my mind was this sermon is like a dead chicken. Somebody just chopped off the head and it's flopping around out there. I, like I cannot end this soon enough. It is, it is so bad. Anyway, it's a bad thing when the preacher wants the sermon to end. Yeah, I know. Just imagine so, how the people in the in this in the audience are, or the people in the church are thinking. <laughs> but here is my lesson from it. So from that, during the week, I got a whole bunch of emails from people talking about how God had worked. Oh, nice! And it's one of in, those. Yeah. In, yeah. yeah, in my life, it's always been. I'm pretty sure that when I get to heaven, I've got a place signed, sealed, delivered for me in heaven. It's the court jester, and <laughs> so that's my job. I'm there to make God laugh. I've got nothing else really that I'm bringing to the kingdom other than that. And so God continually through my life reminds me whenever I thought I did a great sermon, nothing much came of it. When I thought it was the worst sermon I've ever done, God does great things. And he says, see, did I not mention it has nothing to do with you as to do with your faithfulness to the text. You know, every preacher echoes that. Every preacher echoes that. Yeah. So anyway, you went on uh, Monday to Thursday talking about that, saying, um, how your prayer, your worship, your preaching has to get done to yourself before you're doing it to others, those kind of things. Any comment yeah. you want to make on that as a heart dynamic? Yeah, I mean, again, there's all the how do you exegete the text and what's your process for how to come up with a sermon. But again, the heart dynamic, uh, I think of you know Psalm 19, where let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I'm always just thinking, okay, what does it mean to meditate in a way uh, that pleases God? I think you just touched on it. It's not complicated here. It's praying, it's saturating everything with prayer um, and and just realizing my desperate need for God to speak to me. Uh, In my earlier years of preaching, I think maybe because I started so young and I was so inexperienced, I I was honestly overwhelmed, Uh, maybe overwhelmed because I have high ideals of what preaching should be. Uh, I have the word of God is big and I, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I just was like, I don't know how to do this. So I was, I fell into despair a lot of the time, if I'm honest. So the good news with that is I was on my knees a lot. Uh, but I think over the years, you do learn how to preach. I mean, you learn how to outline, illustrate, apply. And then all of a sudden I found myself sometimes like starting my sermon prep. and I didn't even pray. I was like, what just happened to me right here? Uh, so reminding myself that apart from God, I can do absolutely nothing. So just one of my practices that I've begun a uh, long, long time ago is I begin my sermons Monday morning, first thing. I have reasons why I do that. But uh, very first thing I do after my devotions and my very first thing that I do is I actually just get on my knees and pray. I don't just sit at my desk and pray. So I need to actually just get right down on my knees or even prostrate myself before God and just say, I need you. I need you to speak to me. Um, I need you to give me this. Uh, apart from you, I can do nothing. So beginning, getting my heart prepared before I get into any of the exegesis or anything, right? And it's the other way, you just kind of paraphrased the what was probably my greatest 
greatest quote on the preacher's heart in preaching, and it is actually from John Owen, the great English Puritan, way back in the 16th century when guys wore funny outfits and hair pieces and all that. Uh, so he was preaching at an ordination service for a young man, and uh, in that sermon, or in that yeah, sermon, I guess he was giving, he said, no man preaches a sermon well to others who does not first preach it to his own heart. Yeah. Uh, and so that's my prayer. As I'm kneeling, I'm like, God, I'm praying to teach me the text, but I'm also I'm ultimately praying first work it in work in me what you want to work in the hearers when I preach. First work it in me. Whatever this is, work it all into my heart first. And so what that does then is throughout the whole prep time, I'm I'm whatever the text is, I'm praying the text into myself. I'm praying it out. If it's a text about praise, I'm praising God. I'm like, I need to apply this to my own self. If it's a repentance text, I'm repenting. If it's a, I don't know, whatever the text is, I allow it to just shape my heart and pray. So the whole process um, is a heart issue, not just a mind issue. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, I, I think in my experience anyway, God never gave me much option. So you're, you're praying about it. I think we're hopefully all of us who do speaking very much know that that's where we start start the whole process is trying to be sure that we're uh, before God dependent, learning, changing, repenting, whatever that's necessary for. But uh, I always found that I lived what I preached. So yep. it was always be careful what you preach because you're going to experience it. It's, it's going to so come. True. So true. <laughs> so it always made me a little afraid. John Piper has this quote where he says, God ordained our preaching to become deeper and more winsome as we're broken, humbled, and made low, desperately dependent on grace by the trials of our own life. So and true. I, I think God just prepares us for it. Uh, one of the things when I'm talking to people in churches sometimes and they're kind of complaining, they're thinking he said this and all that. And I mean, you do know that most speakers, most preachers that God's using it at all are living it before they ever preach it. They're, they're never going to have the courage to get up and say this to somebody else if they're not searching their own heart. Absolutely. But, but sometimes people miss that. Yep. Oh, so. Critical, critical heart dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you get on Sunday morning, which I found interesting. I was trying to think of what you, I guess I could guess, but why would I guess? You're talking about on Sunday morning that the preacher's worship and exalting of God through their preaching is important as well. So how do you do that um, realistically while you're speaking? What does that mean to you in the process of giving the sermon? Yeah, it, well, it begins before the sermon. It's it's something that is the fulfillment of the whole week. So that's why I say the heart dynamic actually for me begins Monday morning. It's you can't get up and preach in a way that's you're supposed to unless you've begun way earlier in the week. Uh, so just to back up a tiny little bit, I'd I'd say it's things like praying through my sermon. I pray through my sermon on Friday morning, and then Saturday night I go through it more for my mind. I'm still praying it through, but I'm trying to memorize things and get all that but praying it through and making sure my heart is in the right place uh, Sunday morning before I get up. Because one of my great convictions of preaching is that we are not coming as lecturers or facilitators. We need to come with truth burning in our souls, whatever that truth is of the text that Sunday. So that's why you know, I love Lloyd-Jones's um, definition of preaching where he says it's theology coming through a man who is on fire. Um, so much of it is not a conscious... Uh, I'm not trying to do something per se. Uh, I'm allowing all the truths that have come into my heart over the week, the glory of God and Christ in whatever way that text is talking about it, to just come out um, and, and, and not to allow, what am I going to say here? Uh, 
it for it to be authentic uh, and, and to come out of my being. So that's why I'm saying the heart dynamic is so important because it's got to be part of my being. And, and just as a side note here, yelling a lot is not a sign of great passionate preaching. Like what? <laughs> Some like some younger guys, and we won't name names of famous preachers who've done this, but uh, you can guess them. Like yelling is not necessarily a sign of great anointed, powerful preaching. It's really not. In fact, yelling could be a sign that you're a weak preacher because the famous quote goes, you know, the preacher wrote in the margin, weak point, yell here. Right? <laughs> that's that's not a sign necessarily of great powerful preaching. What is powerful preaching is uh, the word, the spirit in the preacher's heart, and it's coming through the preacher, through the preacher's personality, the whole preacher's being, uh, and coming out to the people. So it's more the fulfillment of everything than anything I'm consciously trying to do. I mean, of course, I'm consciously trying to exalt God, but I, I want my heart and my mind to be taken up in the moment um, in my own personal worship of God and glorifying him. So I don't know if that's, is that answering your question? Yeah, and let me ask you a question. So you can just say to me, David, you're a bad person. We've already known that if this is true. So sometimes I agree with what you just said. However, there were moments, still are sometimes moments in my uh, ministry life where life impinges on the sermon. By that, let's say um, mm -hmm. did a sermon of, or an, I did a funeral for somebody. I can think of this actually as a specific entity. I uh, did a funeral for a person on a Saturday afternoon that I um, really cared about, knew really well, and it um, kind of broke my heart, the story that led to that funeral. And I had to get up and preach my sermon Sunday morning and desperately didn't want to do it, didn't feel like doing it. And so sometimes I've said to myself, okay, be a pro, just be a pro. You, you don't get up there just to draw everybody into you in what you're grieving about. That's not true, why you're up true, there. True. Be a professional. So is that wrong to say? No, I, uh, and it's, it's probably a good, um, I don't know if it's a correction, but you're saying multiple things. Very important to say, I, I don't want to give the impression that somehow every Sunday I get up and I'm just locked in and just uh, soaring, you know, that's, that's not maybe what I'm trying to say. I want that to be the case, um, but let, let's give even a different example. What if you had a big argument with your wife that morning, oh, yeah. uh, Sunday morning, and then your your heart is not even the right place because you know you got something unresolved and you maybe tried to resolve before church and that didn't even happen, or uh, you had an argument with a board member before the service and you're like, ah, oh, that's how I went. So that happens to me a lot. I, I mean, like it's a lot. There's many Sundays where I wake up and my heart is not soaring over the truth that I had worked on so hard all week. And the way I deal with that is, first of all, just to plead with God to have mercy on me and to help me to focus. Uh, but there are many Sundays where I'm like, all right, uh, God, I, I, I pray you would just help me to do this as I'm preaching. Because even before I'm getting up, my heart's not even fully there. I, I want it to be, but Lord have mercy, it's not fully there. Yeah, well, I think it's true. I, I feel bad for you a little bit, though, Barton, because I've never argued with my wife on a Sunday morning. So I'll, well, uh, we'll stop and I'll pray for you following this podcast. Please do. I could use it. I could use it. <laughs> it was a hypothetical no, I, I, situation that happens to other people. That's really Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a funny thing sometimes. You do have to get your heart right in it, but sometimes that's a, a fight. Not And sometimes it's the, the fight itself is good. You know, I'm absolutely. And again, it's the whole formula is that God will give grace to you in your weakness. You learn that. Some of my greatest texts on a Sunday morning are 
remembering jars of the jars of clay passage and being like, okay, I'm so glad that passage is in the Bible because boy, am I ever a jar of clay uh, or the thorn in the flesh uh, that his grace is sufficient in my weakness. I'm so glad those passages are there because there's many Sundays where I'm like, I'm not soaring and my heart is struggling deeply. I think I'd rather be a jar of clay than a dead chicken spurting blood all over running around the front of the church, but that's a different. <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah, that's you. Yeah. Good. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So let's get to the, the last thing, which I think is a big issue, maybe worth a topic all of its own since we don't really have time to go into that in a ton of detail today, but following the sermon, you talk about the issue of pride and how to kill it in your heart. I think that's a, well, yeah, pride's tricky. Of course it can go, couple of different ways or our insecurity can show itself a couple of different ways too so you want to comment on that yeah and, and probably i would say my heart is actually more like a pinball between discouragement and pride i'm like why what is going on what was so sometimes i'm totally discouraged and maybe fall into unbelief and then other times i'm like thinking a little too well of myself i'm like why is my heart it's just all over but that, that's just the heart dynamics that you realize in being a preacher so how to combat them both so we're talking about pride right now the best ways that I've kind of, so this is assuming, of course, you're feeling pretty good after a service. You got maybe you got lots of good compliments and you are even just like on a very true level, like God moved in powerful ways and you're just pleased that God did and you're truly honoring him. The way that I have tried to make sure I deal with is two things. Number one is just to remember my role. Uh, what is my role in all this? And the second one is to redirect the glory. Uh, so when I say remember the role, I, I heard a great, uh, I don't know when he did this, but Tim Keller did this really great thing where he compared all preachers to Balaam's donkey. And you know, the King James translation of donkey, we'll leave that one out for, uh, to keep this proper. Uh, but definitely <laughs> use it. I'm not using it. You can use it. Uh, so of course the story is that Balaam's riding his donkey and it says the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and he spoke to the donkey. So what Keller said was all preachers are donkeys or the King James word. Uh, and, and why I really like that is it saves me from discouragement and it saves me from pride because it saves me from discouragement um, because I got to remember in those moments when I'm totally discouraged and I think, oh, can I even do this? I mean, this like I look at my pitiful little manuscript or my pathetic sermon and I'm like, can this, can God even use this? And you remember, listen, if God can speak through a donkey, he can surely speak through me. So that's encouragement. And then the flip side, it saves you from pride after the sermon because you remember, well, if God can speak through a donkey, then I'm really not that great, am I? <laughs> yeah, see, again, the difference between us right there, Barton, you think of it that way. I think of it, if God can speak through me, he can speak through a donkey. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll give you that one. <laughs> but my point on all that one was just remembering my role. Uh, yeah. The other, of course, the good biblical analogy is the ambassador, right? Or uh, just the herald, a herald's job, a herald, there's nothing great about a herald. A herald's job is just to tell what the king has said and be faithful in the telling. Um, so that's my job is to be faithful in the telling and the herald doesn't get the glory. It's all about the king getting the glory. So I'm always trying to remember my role as I'm driving home. I'm like, thank you, Lord, you gave me the privilege uh, to be able to do this today. I'm grateful to be a herald for you and remembering my role. And of course, that I can't do anything unless I've received the gifts from the Lord anyways. So that, what I always do when I drive home is I redirect the glory. And what I just mean by that is anything good that has come of it, if God has moved in powerful ways, uh, I always go back to the John the Baptist phrase that uh, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. So yeah. God was pleased to give me that sermon. It is a gift that he has given to me. And I've now given it to the people. And I give him the glory because he gave it uh, to me in the first place. 
uh, and, and then just remember why I'm doing all this, you know, George Whitfield always inspires me with um, one of his great quotes was he said, you know, let the name of Whitfield be forgotten. Uh, he said, let it be trodden under the feet of all men if Jesus may thereby be glorified. Uh, he said, let my name die so the cause of Christ may live. Uh, so I genuinely, the older I get, I pray this is more and more true of me. I could care less about the name of Barton Preeve. I do not want my name exalted. I'm doing this because I want the name of Christ to be exalted. Uh, so that's what I'm doing as I'm going home is remembering I have a great privilege to be able to speak for the great king. Um, and if there's great things that have happened, it's because it's by his spirit. I redirect the glory um, because he's the one who's given any gifts to me anyways in the first place. And that just takes us right back to the beginning to that Monday of your process, which is where are you finding your identity anyway? So yeah. um, it's in Christ. That's where the glory should go. I think Martin Lloyd-Jones said that. He said, what's the chief end of preaching? I think it's this, to give men and women a sense of God in his presence. And mm -hmm. I think um, for us today, it's like we started in this conversation in the COVID world. This goes on like another year. It's, well, it's already kind of desperate in the reality of people who need to know the sense of God, need to know the presence of God, need to know that they're really not alone. They're not isolated. God hasn't forgotten them. Um, so I think it goes right back to the idea that preaching today, maybe in COVID world, is more important than it's ever been. Absolutely. So, um, anyway, we need to finish this up because nobody yep. will listen any longer. So that's fine. <laughs> thank you for the time you spent on this, Barton. I know this probably um, inaugurates some other conversations with people for you. Preaching's a, a hot topic for us in a positive way, and I'm really glad it is. And so thanks for your passion for it. Uh, Barton, so those of you who don't know, is also on our executive for our regional board, and I get to talk to him a fair bit more right now, so I'm happy about that and appreciate Barton's leadership in our family of churches in our Broadway as well. So thanks very much, Barton. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find links to all the resources mentioned in our show notes. And of course, as always, I want to remind you that we here at the Fellowship Pacific Ministry Center are here to serve you. So to find out more about what resources we have available and to get in contact with us, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.